Well, in our society today, we love season and series finales. Uh, we, we get into it, and, and it seems like every year there's a huge, huge finale that's going to be taking place. You see these season finales. They're the last installment of, of, of a series of all kinds of uh, entertaining shows. Sometimes we see them on the silver screen where there's a, an end to a series of movies. Sometimes we get the, the last installment of a book. But most of the time we, when we talk about a, a series or a season finale, we're referring to a TV show. In the early years, uh, like Leave it to Beaver and the Howdy Doody show, they, they would just have their end of the uh, series uh, finale would just be just a, a special episode at the very end. But then the first one that I can remember was in 1980, where there was a major season finale. I was a kindergartner, and I was on the school bus, and I remember everyone saying the same phrase, who shot JR? I remember it like it was yesterday, and I can't believe, as a kindergartner, that I could remember that, but everyone was talking about it. In fact, even Jimmy Carter talked about it in the presidential election because they, there was a button going around saying, a Democrat shot JR. <laughs> Since Dallas' success, which it was a huge success of who shot JR, many season and series finales have happened. In fact, uh, the, the best season finale, series finale, that ever took place, the second most watched television show in history to date, took place in 1983. Can anyone guess what that is? In 1983, I believe it was February 1983, a finale titled Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen had 105.9 million viewers watching it. It was from a show called MASH. After 255 episodes and 11 seasons, they, CBS decided they're going to pull the plug. What a major finale it was. Other TV shows obviously followed suit in that same uh, way of promoting Cheers, Seinfeld, Friends, Magnum P.I., Star Trek, The Next Generation, and Lost, just to name a few. Well, today we have a very similar situation, a very similar situation because we're coming as a congregation after a three-month process to our own season finale. And we've been digging into the life and the ministry uh, of, of both Jacob and his son, Joseph. We've seen and learned we've, so many things. So many things that have truly affected my own personal life, and, and I've heard from you guys as well. We've discovered uh, that godly men sometimes uh, make mistakes, sometimes have uh, missteps in their walk. Sometimes they make major mistakes in their lives. We see how God has used their efforts as men, as people who are in love with God, and how God has used it to bring glory to himself. This series has featured murder, conspiracy, theft, marriage, revenge, riches, prison, crying, laughter, plot twists, miracles, famine, death, and birth today 
we get to see the finale. So if you'd stand with me, I'm going to read our final text of this series. It's found in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. We'll start in verse 15. We'll go through 26. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Verse 22, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Mekur, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Heavenly Father, to you we ask that gets all the glory, just as we see in Joseph's life, just as we saw in Jacob's life. It's all about you. Uh, please bless us today, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this series, this series finale involves several things. First, it involves a lesson in forgiveness. A lesson in forgiveness. We see that forgiveness is absolutely necessary because our sin is severe. Our sin is severe. In the narrative that we just read in Genesis, we learn how severe the sin was that the brothers bestowed on Joseph. As soon as their father died, the brothers, they gathered together and they started conspiring, trying to figure out what they were going to do. Here's what their conversation was. Listen to this. Hey, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, hey, oh my goodness, it may be that Joseph... Joseph, he's going to hate us. What, what, what should we do? How, how are we going to do this? Because he's going he's to pay back us for all the evil that we did to him. You see, they immediately are seeing how evil their sin was. How, how horrible uh, what they did to their, to their little brother. So it's a good point because these brothers were now formally and freely acknowledging that they had done wrong. And that's a good situation in the sense of, uh, of preparing for forgiveness. But they were worried 
of the justice that was about to come to them and probably their families. And you know what? This was probably righteous. This was probably that they were fearing righteous retribution from their brother. And their little brother, little Joseph, no longer little, now was prestigious and had all the power in Egypt and he could do as he desired for just about anything. But when we look at sin, sometimes we, we value it differently. Sometimes we, we, we lift up certain sins above other sins. But our sin in our life is severe. Whether we're lying to our parents or stealing from our workplace or committing adultery, our sins are enough to convict us to eternity in hell. We have to realize that. I think of the story of the Amalekites. You remember them? Remember as, as the Israelites were, were heading out of Egypt? And they had their long train of people as they were, they were uh, exiting Egypt. The Amalekites, they came up behind the Israelites. And they killed off all the people that were laying in the back. The pregnant women and, and the lame and the children. They just slaughtered them. So God was going to have his retribution. We finally see that God decides to deal with the severe sin by asking Saul, commanding Saul to truly annihilate them. See in 1 Kings 15, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God takes sin serious. He takes sin serious. In fact, in this story, we, if you remember the story, Saul decides to not kill everyone. He, he, he saves the king, and he, and he saves all the finest animals, and eventually that causes Saul to lose his kingship, and eventually Saul falls on his own sword. Sin is taken serious, and we don't take sin serious enough today. We also need to remember that forgiveness Forgiveness is, is not brought about by schemes. That's not how you get forgiveness. In Genesis 50, we see how the brothers come up with a scheme to, to try and create a situation where Joseph will extend forgiveness. They collaborate with one another and they decide to send a messenger ahead of them telling Joseph that, that daddy, daddy said don't hurt us. Daddy said to, to forgive us. Their story was probably false. We don't know that for sure. That would be my guess. The brothers, they were so convicted of what they did. They knew that they personally didn't have the moral right to ask Joseph for forgiveness at that case. 
when they thought about Joseph's life and they thought about all that he went through, they were scared. That's not how forgiveness is, is brought about. Scheming. You know, we, we, we sometimes, we seek out ways where we feel good. And that's, and that's how we uh, feel like we can be forgiven. Some people, what they do is, is they go to church. That's their scheme. They're like, oh, I, I'm going to go to church faithfully. And then I am a good Christian. I am a good person, and that, that's good enough. My neighbors, they don't even go to church. But I go to church, and so that's going to be my get-out-of-jail-free get card. Some people, they give. Bill was talking about that earlier, about the all-in giving. Some people give, and they feel like, okay, I've given to the church. There was this one guy I knew. He gave so much to our school in Indiana, our Christian school. I mean, he, he truly felt like he walked on water. See, you can give for the wrong reasons. If you're scheming, if that's your scheme, you're giving just so you could feel good or just so it could be, uh, you could get glory for yourself. It's a scheme. And that's not how forgiveness is brought about. Some people feed the homeless and they make sure they tell everybody about it, take pictures of it, post it on Facebook. Some people say pious prayers. Give, give to those that they might feel like need it more than them just to cover some guilt. Forgiveness isn't brought about by schemes. No. Forgiveness is a gift given to change our standing. Forgiveness is a gift, and it changes our standing. In verse 19, it says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Man, Joseph had a clear understanding that he was not God. He had a clear understanding that the Almighty God what was so much better than him, was so much, uh, uh, had so much more grace than he could ever have. His brothers, he understood that his brothers need forgiveness. And, and they were seeking it, but truly it was only God who could provide that forgiveness. Romans 6, 23, you guys know that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how you change your standing. You, you go after the free gift that God has provided. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, our standing with God is changed not by the things that we do, not by the things that we say, but by God. God is the one who can change it. And that's the beauty of forgiveness. We're all trying to gain grace from our fellow man by being extra kind to him or, or, or doing things for them. Instead, we need to release it to Jesus. We need to get on our knees and, and, and pray that, that God can teach us and, and can soften hearts. I'm so thankful for God's grace. Finally, we need to remember that forgiveness doesn't dismiss the evil. 
but saves us from its wrath. And this could be considered the most important thing that I teach from the pulpit maybe ever. Forgiveness doesn't dismiss the evil, but it saves us from its wrath. Absolutely crucial. In one of the most memorable scriptures in all the Old Testament, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me. The goal of, the, of his brothers was evil, was mean, what, what was ruthless. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, Joseph doesn't dismiss it. Joseph says, you did do evil to me. You were, you were beyond harsh in dealing with me. He acknowledged that they had done wrong. And he knows what they did was, was trying to hurt him and, and trying to, in, in another sense, trying to hurt their father. His forgiveness to his brothers, it wasn't dismissing what they did. It wasn't saying what you did no longer exists. No, I still, I still understand that evil. But you're being spared because of God. Because he's the one in control. I often think of Romans 8.28. When I, when I think of that verse, all things work together for the good to those that love the Lord, to those that are called according to his purpose. I mess up an awful lot. How about you? I'm so, so grateful that God is gracious. That God is gracious over and over and over and over. He has continuously shown me mercy and forgiveness throughout my life. The effects of my sin, they're still felt. But in the end, I'm saved from the wrath of it. I remember in high school, I was a sophomore in high school. As I put it, 19, 1990. That dated some people, they're looking okay. So I was a sophomore, and, and, and I was taking a class, Advanced Biology, and somehow I came up with the test and the answer key, and that's a whole other story. We'll talk about that some other time. And so I came up with the test and the answer key, and, and, and I proceeded to memorize the uh, answer key prior to going into the test. And so I went into the test, and, and we sat at these uh, desks that had two people, these tables, you know, so you could work on your... Uh, uh, experiments and stuff you're doing in biology with a partner. And, and I, I proceeded to cheat on the test because I had it memorized uh, in my head. Not only that, it, I, I decided that it would be cool to share my answers with about eight other people. So I would take one of their papers and they'd take one of mine and I'd be copying my answers onto their paper and they'd be copying my answers onto their paper and, and then we'd exchange. and. And I had this going, and the teacher was up there not seeing what we were doing. We were doing it pretty slick. Well, the next day comes around after we all got our A pluses or close thereof, 
and our teacher, Mr. Ken DeVoe, announced that there were people cheating in class. We looked dumbfounded and, oh, no, I don't know what he's talking about. And then he said, there was a trick question on this particular test. I had an assumption that someone uh, was taking the test, and so I put a question on here that we never studied, that wasn't in the unit, and eight of you got it right. Oof. Now, mind you, I knew nothing of that test. I could tell you the answer to why we die from carbon monoxide is because it combines with hemoglobin 248 times faster than oxygen can. That locked in my brain somehow. But I don't know anything else on the test. So he had us retake the test with the new exam that day. Obviously, I bombed it. And so after I finished the test in, in minutes, because I knew none of the answers, I walked up to the teacher and I said, can I speak to you in the hallway? I remember this like it was yesterday. As we walked to the side door, I opened the door and closed it. Mr. DeVoe in his, in his bald head with the hair on the side looked at me, looking down at me. I was about five foot four at the time. And he said, yes, Mr. Chapman. By the way, Mr. DeVoe was my favorite teacher and I had done this to him. I said, I was the one who cheated. I took your test, I cheated. He looked at me and he, without saying I forgive you, he said, thanks for telling me, you are receiving a zero. But at that moment, he forgave me. He didn't take it to the superintendent. I didn't miss basketball because of it. I still ended up with a B in the class. He could have done all kinds of things to me. But he didn't. That moment was the last time I ever did, obviously, something like that. My life changed. Three months later, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And you wonder, if I, if I felt the wrath of that sin, if my life would have gone in a different trajectory, if I'd be standing here today, just that one simple thing, but it was an example, a, a picture that I had of how I should have had way more penalty. I should have been punished so, so much more severe. And yet I was given grace. I still had to pay the penalty. I still got a zero on a test. But I didn't have to feel the full wrath. The evil wasn't dismissed. But it did prevent me from feeling things months and months later. Well, the chapter then turns a page, and we see that Joseph is taking his last breath. He's going to take his last breath, but he sure left a lasting farewell. And as we look at Joseph's life, we remember first his theology. Joseph had quite a theology as he lived his life. Joseph was both humble and hopeful. Over and over, over and over, we witnessed Joseph giving credit to God, making sure that people, including Pharaoh, knew that it was only because of God that he was able to interpret dreams and able to conduct the work that he did. 
society, we, we celebrate overconfidence, entitlement, and, and perpetual focus on self. People are increasingly competitive, attention-seeking, narcissistic, obsessed with their appearance, and, and just entitled. Psychologists would agree with scripture when it comes to humbleness, which is interesting to think. And this is a, uh, psychologists say it's a crucial virtue for every human to have is humbleness. Some of the benefits that even psychologists are commenting on humbleness include excellence in leadership, higher self-control, better work performance, higher grades, less prejudice, being more helpful, and just plainly having better relationships. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The whole goal there is not so you could be lifted up, but so God could be lifted up within you. Your humbleness to bow your knees saying, it is not me. Remember Joseph as he stood before Pharaoh? He said, whoa, I can't do any of this, but my God can. That's humbleness. Matthew 18, 4 says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Joseph was a humble man, and he showed it in every part of his life. But he was also hopeful. When he had his dreams early in his life, he was bursting with excitement as he told his brothers and his father. Maybe not the wisest thing to do, but he was hopeful that God had a plan for him. Then after uh, horribly being sold into slavery, Slavery, he showed hopefulness in God as he served Potiphar, as he served the jailer, and eventually served Pharaoh. When Joseph saw his brothers, he was hopeful that God was working his master plan. I think that I've personally gained so much in this study of Joseph. So selfishly, I, I, this has been for myself. All of the studying that we've done it's been for my own gain, and I hope that you've been able to gain some out of it, too, through God. Understanding that God is so much in control, and that we just need to humble ourselves as his servants. We just need to humble ourselves, always showing hope that God will bring about goodness in whatever is happening, in whatever is going on, even in times of trouble, even when your car is stuck in your driveway in a huge pile of snow. Be hopeful. We need to lean on the Savior. He's in, he's in ultimate control. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Amen? That, I mean, that's just phenomenal to think that God is going with us to help us to be hopeful. And 
to train us and teach us to be humble. Also, when we look at Joseph's life, we remember his consistency. His consistency. Joseph was consistent whether he was in trouble, in temptation, or during times of triumph. We never see Joseph being moved to curse God or to run away from him. We don't even see a time where Joseph forgets about God. Joseph is consistent. Joseph sold into slavery. He serves God. Joseph is serving his master Potiphar, and the lady of the home throws herself at him, trying to give, get him to give in to his desires. Joseph continues to serve God. Joseph gets thrown into prison for doing nothing wrong. He serves God. Joseph gets put in charge of the prison. He serves God. Joseph, with the help of God, interprets dreams and is forgotten in prison, and he just continues to serve God. Joseph is put in front of the Pharaoh. He serves God by proclaim, proclaiming that God is the all-knowing, that he's the only one who could answer. Joseph's lifted up as the prime minister and is in charge of everyone and everything. And Joseph, he decides, you know what? I'm going to serve God. Joseph's brothers come before him. Joseph can now have his revenge, but Joseph decides to serve God. Joseph served God consistently throughout his life. He was consistent. He was absolutely consistent. And don't you want that said about you? That you're a consistent believer in God, that you serve God in all things, that, that you bow down to the almighty king of kings? Maybe you can't show it throughout your whole life. I know I can't, but you can from this point forward, or you can from some point in the past to, to the rest of your future, that you will serve God no matter what. No matter if, if you had that gun pointed at you and someone's asking, are you a believer? You say, you better believe I love Jesus Christ because you serve God. Serve God no matter what. Joseph was a true, humble servant of Jesus, of, of God, the Almighty God, the Yahweh, the I Am, even when the horrible things were happening to him. And this, this and that is how you leave a legacy. If you want to understand about leaving a legacy, it's looking at a life like Joseph and saying, that is a man who just serves God, who's humble, who's hopeful, who's willing to be consistent in his life. He's going to leave a legacy. No matter what happened to Joseph, God was working his plan the entire time. God was the one that had Judah suggest to sell Joseph to, eat to, the, to the traveling salesman. Joseph was bought by Potiphar in order to be tempted by Potiphar's wife in order to be thrown into prison so he could be there when the cupbearer was also thrown in prison who would eventually remember him so they could be put in front of the Pharaoh so he could interpret the Pharaoh's dream so then he could provide, uh, get all the, 
uh, barns together and, and get the grain in there during the years of plenty so that when the famine came, he could save the people and he could save the family of Israel. So the lives could be spared of Judah and Judah's family and eventually the line all the way down to Jesus Christ. God has a plan. Sometimes think about that for my own life. I could start going backwards. It's easier to go backwards than the forwards because we can't predict. But we could see how God has done different things in our lives. And we'll, you just stand in amazement. How God brought you to a certain place, to a certain time. I think about my own boys, Reggie and, and Jacob. How they would have, how, how, how they, we uh, found the adoption agency that had them in their midst. And it all started from me deciding to deliver newspapers. You see, I chose to deliver newspapers. At, went to Sugar Grove every single morning at 2 in the morning, seven days a week, while I was a PE teacher. And I'd get to school at 5 in the morning. And because I was bored, I'd do two things, I, or three things. I'd read scripture, I'd sleep, or I would build a website for my PE program because it was the Olympics and I wanted to do something cool. Because of that, the school district saw I was building a website, they hired me as the web guy. And because of that, I went into the district office. And because of that, I got my master's. And because of that, I became an assistant principal. Because of that, I became a principal. Because of that, I took a job in Indiana as a superintendent of a Christian school. And because of that, we met uh, Matt and Amy, who adopted from this agency in Florida. And we decided to go through the same agency who had Reggie and Jacob. God has a perfect plan, and, and he does it so many ways that you and I would not do it. But that's the beauty of God. Moreover, God is always present. God never left the side of his servant, Joseph. God was with him while he watched his mama die after giving birth to his little brother, Benji. God was with him when his dad gave him that beautiful coat of many colors. God was with him as he dreamed in the night of a time when his brothers were going to bow down before him. God was with him while his brothers beat him and ripped off that coat. And God was holding on to Joseph as he was falling into that empty pit in, in Dothan. And God was with Joseph while he was crying in the pit as he listened to his brothers enjoy their lunch. God was with Joseph as he was drugged into slavery 200 miles away into Egypt. God was with Joseph when he was embarrassed as he was being sold into slavery. God was with Joseph when he was wrongly accused. He was with Joseph when he was in prison and forgotten. God was with Joseph when he got cleaned up just prior to going and seeing Potiphar, excuse me, the Pharaoh. God was with Joseph as he stood before the Pharaoh and he had to answer him. God was with him when his brothers bowed down in front of him. God was with him while he listened to Simeon cry in the prison while the brothers went back home before dad decided to send Benjamin back with him. God was with Joseph 
Boy, he saw his daddy in Goshen for the first time in decades. God was with Joseph while he stood before his father, having his two boys blessed. God was with Joseph while he prepared to breathe his last breath and made the family pledge. Take my bones back. Take my bones back with you. Because one day, one day, God is going to take you from this place and take you back to the promised land. We remember that one day took 400 years when they marched back and headed back and eventually got into the promised land. God is always present. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Job 34.21 says, For his eyes are upon the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. I am so, so thankful that God is with us everywhere. He is omnipresent. God is present with us today. Remember the finale of the Mass series? It was titled, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. We have a much better title for our finale. God is with us today tomorrow, and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just... humbly come before you on this day that's freezing outside on this day that has snow blowing, you are still present. Lord, remind us daily, remind us every single minute of our lives that you are present with us, that you are by our side. Remind us that we do not have to do life alone. Yes, some of us have our spouse that we do life with, but more than that, we have you, God, and we are so, so thankful. Humble our hearts to help us to understand how thankful we need to be at your sacrifice, at your willingness, Jesus, to go to the cross to die for us. We should experience all the wrath of who you are, God. But you have spared us from that through your gift of your son, Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, you have given us life. And we are so thankful. We are so thankful. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for it. We love you, God. It's in your son, Jesus' name that we pray, that we give glory, that we honor you. Let's stand.